0: Psalm 117, this is the shortest uh, of all the Psalms. And if you want to call Psalms chapters, then we also know, and this is one of those interesting things, Uh, it is the center chapter or Psalm in all the Bible. Uh, We know that, uh, now the Psalms were numbered, but we don't know about chapters and they were added later on. And chapter and verse was later uh, added later on when the Bible was translated. And yet in God's providence, we see that out of all the chapters, I forget, there's a couple of thousand chap- chapters in, or a couple of hundred or several hundred chapters in the Bible. And yet um, this this is the middle chapter. Now, if you want to know what the end is, it has to do with praising the Lord. And it has to do with praising the Lord. Everyone praising the Lord. It's an invitation to praise the Lord. But if you want to know, and again, verses were not uh, inspired, and yet uh, we see that through the providence of God, the middle verses in all the Bible was actually Psalm 103, verse 1 and 2, where it's Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh, my soul, and forget not his benefits. And so we see that it, whether uh, providential or, well, we know everything's providential, but it, but um, um, whether by design, our design or not, we see that uh, the piece of all the scripture is praising the Lord. And so here we have a psalm, it's the shortest, and it's one of those that... Uh, When I started studying, I was wanting to add it to uh, Psalm 116 and just make it an addendum. But then I was wanting to add it to 118 and just make it a prelude. And yet you can't do that because it stands on its own. It is a a chapter or it is a psalm that uh, has a special purpose. And that purpose, again, is... Uh, the praise of the Lord and the invitation is to not just to the Jew, but to the whole world. And the reason we say that is because, remember, this would have been the fifth of the six psalms that were sung during Passover or during the Passover meal. And the Lord singing this psalm, and of course we know that in Mark, um, Matthew and Mark, it tells us in chapter 26, verse 30 of Matthew and Mark 14, 26, that, um, uh, that they sang a song. And this was one of the songs that they would have sung during that Passover meal, those six psalms from 113 to 118, uh, having to do with uh, praising the Lord, his greatness, his, the history of delivering the people, his superiority over idols. And of course, now we see uh, toward the end uh, the last two psalms have to do with the purpose of the Lord, and of course, or the the praise of the Lord to, a whole, to the whole world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So it's very significant that the Lord sang this psalm that that the night before He died for the whole world. For God so loved the world that He gave it, came into the world, uh, came into the. Uh, that God gave, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so we see, of course, that uh, our Lord is giving the gospel invitation here. Uh, Whosoever will may come. And of course, uh, this was opening it up. The Passover was distinctively uh, Jewish or for Jewish families. And yet the Lord had promised Abraham abraham back in genesis chapter 20 and we see there's only two verses and the first verse is a call to praise and we see all you gentiles first of all that's kind of interesting because this was if this is sung during the passover then it's sung and it's an example or it is a message to the gentiles that you could come and join us in our praise for the lord now, of course, we know going into the temple and all that, they had their rules about who who could go in and so forth and the Gentiles being excluded from certain things. But uh, as far as the gospel invitation, it was to the whole world. And so we see, first of all, he says uh, that, it, uh, that um, in Genesis 20 or chapter 12, verse 3, uh, the Lord told Abraham, in thee all the families of the earth will be blessed and of course we know that the Jew has been a blessing to all the world but specifically the Lord uh, came to die for all the families of the world and so that's our gospel message to a lost and dying world and that's our message the spirit and the bride say come and that was God's design for Israel. They were to be the oracles of God in the Old Testament or the Old Testament age. And as a result of that, uh, the message was to go out from uh, from the Jew to the Gentile. Now, did that happen? Yes, we know that many Gentiles were saved. Um, what, can you think of one man that led 6,000 Gentiles to the Lord? Or sixty? was it 6, 6,000, 60,000? The people of Nineveh. Okay, I'm drawing a blank there as far as the zeros are concerned. But uh, I think it was 6,000. But uh, there again, he preached to Gentiles. And did they get saved? We know that they did. And we know that there were several other people, Ruth the Moabitess, and uh, there were several other people that were mentioned, uh, Uriah the Hittite, others that were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ or especially in the God of Israel, anyway, in the Old Testament, and they were saved. They were part of the congregation. And Ruth, uh, the Moabitess, and uh, others. And so we see that uh, it's a call to praise. And uh, Israel was to be the oracle, in other words, the mouthpiece of God to a lost and dying world. And we're going through Isaiah now. And Isaiah, that gospel invitation is, you know, uh, yes, ma'am. 60,000. I was thinking that 6,000 sounds too little. It's about 60,000. And so we see that, um, that uh, the Lord now uh, has, uh, has given that gospel invitation. And the oracle was the, the Jew. And we know that uh, Isaiah, that's where I guess that's where I'm going, coming back to, and Ezekiel, uh, give large portions of their prophecies or their books to the preaching to the Gentiles, the surrounding nations around them, and they were preaching to them and condemning them, and yet saying, "Whosoever will may be saved." And so we see that uh, the prophets preached to the world. Who is the oracle to the world today? Who's God's oracle today? The church, the Spirit, and the Bride say, that's the oracle, come. So we are the oracle of God. We are the mouthpiece of God to a lost and dying world. That is why we, we might address politics or we might talk about social issues. But if we get away from the word of God, the preaching of the word is to them that perish foolishness. But to us that are saved, it's the power of God. So we don't want to get distracted from the word of God. Now, we might preach on issues at times, but it's got to come from the Word of God. And so uh, I could tell, and many times I've told you that I'll tell you my opinion. And like Sunday morning, I told you my opinion. My my opinion was, I have no foggy idea. So sometimes that's my opinion. But uh, there again, um, the the Word of God is, when God says it and it's concrete, there's no variable. And so we see that... uh, Uh, Here we have the gospel invitation and the Passover. And of course we know our Passover lamb is the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us. And so we see that uh, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, all you nations. And so the the word Gentiles or nations uh, is kind of interchangeable sometimes in the the, uh, uh, Old Testament. And so we see that uh, he says, Now, on the eve of the crucifixion, he sang this song. So he knew what he was doing. He wasn't just dying at the hands. He didn't come not knowing what he was was doing. He he didn't come being falsely accused and having no idea what was happening to him. No, he came for a purpose. And he came to die for you and me. And everything played out perfectly as he and God the Father had planned. And he laid down his life. Nobody killed him except our sins. But nobody killed the Lord Jesus other than human instrumentality. Yes, that might have happened. But it was our sins that burst his heart and killed him. And so we see that uh, um, in the all the families will be blessed. And we had that through the Lord Jesus. And so we have Gentiles and then we have peoples. Now, if you want to turn over to Revelation chapter 7, and the Lord wants to make sure that we understand in Revelation 7, and he really goes through the list. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, we see that, And all these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all the nations, the tribes, the peoples, the tongues, standing before the throne, and before the Lamb clothed in white robes, so notice there's going to be people from every tribe, every nation that's going to know the Lord Jesus. And they're, going to, they're in heaven today, or they will be in heaven. And so we see that uh, God was willing to make sure that we understand what peoples are. Peoples, now in the New Testament, the word ethnic, ethnos, is the word that we get, the word, or that is translated many times in the King James as nations. But that, that word is ethnos, which means what? Ethnic, ethnic group. So you can have a nation, Canada's a good example. Even though they're the same basic race, there are two different ethnic groups. You have, Well, se- several. You have, uh, uh, you have the indigenous people, then you have the French, and then you have the English. But there's, And then within all that, the tribes of the indigenous peoples, there's all kinds of ethnic groups within them. And so he is wanting to make sure that we understand that every tribe, every nation, all you peoples. So the gospel is universal. Whosoever will may come. And so every ethnic group, everybody, come. come. And uh, we see now that Paul uses, he quotes this verse in Romans 15. And this is uh, interesting. Let's turn over to Romans 15 and see how that Paul uses this psalm as he explains it. It's just a little psalm, two verses, and yet Paul uses it mightily in talking about the Gentiles. And so in chapter 15, uh, let's just go back to uh, verse 7. Therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ uh, has become a servant to the circumcision, which are the Jews, and uh, for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers, and, to the, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, as it is written, "For this reason I confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name." And that's Psalm forty-three, I think. But He says, "And again, rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people." And if this is, um, and then again, praise the Lord all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. And that is the translation, the exact translation of 117 verse 1. So he's using this verse and using other uh, verses in Psalms talking about, hey, the Gentiles are included. But then this really makes it uh, kind of an exclamation mark, especially when it was used for the Passover. And again, Isaiah says, uh, there shall be a root of Jesse and he shall uh, rise and reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the Lord of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so again, we see that he's talking to Romans, he's talking to Gentiles, but he says, you've been included. And of course, the Romans were the ones that put Jesus on the cross. And yet we know that uh, uh, that's where the where God uh, where the book of Acts ends is in Rome. Is that the gospel is even taken to Rome? So again, um, we see that this is a psalm that deals with uh, evangelism. And so, I like what F. B. Meyer, who was a great English preacher back about 100 and so years ago, he says. The call, uh, the call of all people makes this a strong missionary psalm. Are we doing all we can to kindle the nations to praise? They cannot praise him whom they do not know. It is mere hypocrisy to bid them to praise him if they never sought to, if if we never sought to spread by lip or gift the mercy and truth revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. So we can tell people, hey, come and worship with us. That's fine. But unless we give them the gospel, they really are just here to, to see what we do. And uh, yes, we want to help people. We want to feed the poor. We want to do whatever we can. But if we're not doing it, uh, if you give them a cup of water in his name, then we're not doing anything. Uh, how can people praise Oh, they'll praise us, all your good people. Well, we, that's not what we want. We want them to praise God with us. And so we're not here for the praise of people. All that church down there, they're just so good and all that. Well, I hope that people could say that, but I hope they could say they know their you know, they know they have something we don't have. They have the Lord. And so again, it's the gospel to, to all you peoples. Now, verse 2, very easy to split this psalm up. It's only two verses, but it's got two points. And that's the reason for the praise. He says, "For His merciful kindness." Now, there's that word again. It's used hundreds of times in the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew word. If you, it's hesed, hesed, that it's pronounced. It means more than just mercy as we know it. It doesn't mean just, "Oh, I'm going to hold back my wrath from you." That's a negative part of mercy. But mercy in the Bible, is translated many times loving kindness, merciful kindness. Uh, it is the idea of loyal love. And we've mentioned that several times. And no matter what you do, I love you. And it's like a father with a son. Yes, the son may be disobedient, but you still love the son. Or with a mother with her child, of course, but uh, so that word loving kindness is you know God is our Father. We saw even uh, in Isaiah chapter one this past week. I I loved you as a father, but you've rebelled against me. You know, come back to me, listen to me, all through the book, all through the book of Isaiah. Listen, come back. And so he had a very loyal love for his people, and so we see the. Reason to praise is because of his merciful kindness, is great. Now, the word great doesn't mean it's just big, it means it's exceeding, it uh, means it's uh, it's something mighty and prevailing. It's great in the sense that it overcomes other things. And so, if I have great love for somebody, that means in spite of whatever happened, I still love them. You know, it's not like the young man who told, Wrote a letter to the girl and said, uh, "I'll love you till the stars fall. I'll love you to the ends of the earth." And P.S. I will be over tomorrow to see you if it doesn't rain. No, that's uh, you know that's not it's uh, not conditional love. It's I love you to the end of the age, literally. And so again, we see that uh, it's it's prevailing and. Adam Clark, an old boy, the old Puritan uh, uh, commentator, says it prevails over sin, Satan, death, and hell. That's the idea of great. It prevails. It prevails over Satan. It prevails over sin, and even death and hell. So it's, his love is great, greater than anything we can know. And so, uh, so we see his merciful his merciful kindness is great. But then there's a very interesting type. What do you see but every time you see the word endure um, in the in the King James or even in our translations? Notice it says endure. And you'll see that again in chapter or Psalm 118, endure. It's in italics. And the reason is, of course, italics is there because it supplies the translation so we know what he's talking about. But in the original Hebrew, it's just uh, his mercy forever. His mercy forever. Forever mercy. And so, yes, it endures forever, but it's, it's just his mercy is part of his character. It's forever. It's mercy forever. And so once God gives mercy, it's, I mean, it's loyal love. It's, there's nobody more loyal than, than our Lord. So it's forever mercy. And so his mercy, forever. And boy, I sure am glad of that. I'm glad he loves me today. But I'm confident that no matter what happens in this old wicked world, or no matter how, what mistake that I might make, his mercy to me is forever. Now, of course, uh, there's um, he says... Um, then and that's the thing, his mercy forever. And then the one thing I didn't put in the outline, toward us. That's personal. His mercy to us forever. I sure am glad I'm part of that uh, exclusive club, aren't you? Mercy, us, forever. And so God loves us. He died for us. And he's not fickle. And it prevails over Satan and sin and everything else in our lives. So his mercy is great, and it's forever. And it's eternal. It never stops. There's no gap in it. And it never ends. And so, and of course, we know that, uh, notice he says that, um, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Now, the truth... Of course, who is truth? It's not what is truth; it's who is truth. And who is truth? I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. John fourteen six. Truth is reality. Truth is what's real. We're living in a fan, fantasizing world today. Uh, if I imagine that I am a whatever, then I can be it. No. I am what I am by the grace of God. Now, of course, I want to imagine that I could do great things for God. And I want to say that if he's for me, he's against me, and I can do all things through Christ. But in the end, you know, I can't say uh, just imagine it and it becomes real. No, my whole heart can imagine something. I'm so glad that the many things that I imagined God didn't give me. <laughs> and so, uh, again... Uh, we see that truth, I mean, is reality. And of course, the farther that people get away from the truth, the more they live in fantasy. Their foolish hearts are darkened, and they become vain in their imaginations, Romans chapter 1. And so truth is reality. And so he says his truth, uh, and the, the the truth of the Lord endures forever. So his mercy and truth endure forever and so and of course we are set apart if you believe in the lord jesus christ then you've been sanctified you have been set apart as his holy people and what does he say in john 17 17 sanctify them through thy truth that set them apart thy word is truth so how do we know about our lord who endures forever and uh, Loves us forever, the more we know about the Word of God, the more we know about the Lord. And of course, the more we experience the Word of God and live the Word of God and it it becomes part of us, then the more that He that we see who God really is. And so Christianity is not a system of works. Christianity is a relationship with a living, true God. It's a relationship. And he tells me he wants me to love him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And uh, that I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. And that, that uh, my goal, as Paul says in 2 uh, Corinthians 10.4, 4, that, uh, that the weapons of my warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. So I want everything in my thought life that exalts itself or gets in the way of my knowledge of God to be done away with and to bring into in captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I wish I could say that I was even halfway there. Anybody halfway there? I, don't, I can't even gauge how far I'm off, you know. I would like to think that every thought. But that's a good goal, isn't it? I want to be a little bit, a little bit closer to it today than I was last week. But then again, I can't even measure it. All I know is that just stick with the Lord and he'll take care of all the statistics. There again, there's that loyal love. How many of you mothers have ever said, okay, uh, you love me. You tell me you love me. Okay, uh, I'm going to make a list just to see how much you love me. Have you mothers ever say that? Never. You just... I mean, if the kid brings you an old wet ragweed, says, Hi hey, mommy, here's... I'm like, oh, you're just crying all that, you know. Uh, well, that's, uh, that's a mother's love. That's a loyal love. That's a, a God who made mother's love because he instilled it in you. And so, again, we see that uh, his truth endures forever and his mercy endures forever. And he says, um, and I like what um, another man says here. He says... Not only is His love so great in depth and height, and that's where Romans 5:20 says, "Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound." Uh, he says, um, "It is also lasting." So not only is it that we know that the depth and the height and the knowledge of all that of the knowledge of God, which is Romans 8, but then also we see that it is that depth of love that we can't even comprehend. Is lasting; it's forever. Aren't you glad of that? We serve a God who does is not fickle. We serve a God who uh, chastens us, but He does it in mercy. And we have a God who is always extending and always wanting that relationship with us. And then He wants us to tell others about Him, that they can have the same thing that we have. It's a great evangelistic psalm, evangelistic psalm isn't it? So, oh Lord, that others come, folks come. Boy, wouldn't it be great to have a bunch of people from Belvedere that get saved and they just want to come and praise God with us? You know, the spirit and the bride say, come, let's do it, let's do it. We'll we'll take half a rock for two. So, you know, (laughs) so, uh, oh, that God would have his way. So isn't that a great psalm? It's all by itself. I mean, I, I tried to attach it, and I kept working on it, but then I was reading, just kept reading, and other people, you can't, you can't detach it, or you can't attach it, because it stands in its psalm. So this was a separate psalm. Before you go into, now the next two psalms, Psalm 118 and 119, are heavy. In fact, they're some of the heaviest psalms we're going to read and try to go through. In fact, most of the times I've studied uh, for Psalm 118, I'm not sure we can take care of it in one night. And Psalm 119, what's that? Did I say one? Yeah, now 119 is even worse because 119. Um, now Spurgeon, when he originally wrote his Psalms, I think there was eight of them, or his uh, books, and then they consolidated them. His Treasury of David today is in three volumes, but uh, I was reading. I think it's the fourth volume. Um, and it takes up from Psalm 120 to, what's Psalm 140? It might even take up the rest of the Psalm. It might be the rest of them. But the bulk of that in time, and we're talking about four, three or 400 pages that he has on Psalm 119. And a lot of other, and I look at others, you know. They, so we're not going to be able to cover all of Psalm 119, and we're not going to be able to cover, I don't think, Psalm 118 one, because those are two very important Psalms. Now Psalm 118 will be the end of the, uh, the Hillel, the Hallelujah Psalms that are sung, at uh, Passover, but uh, it really carries a big wallop because there's so much in there. The stone—the one thing I saw today that you might read—look at uh, Psalm 118, and you'll see that the stone that the builders rejected. But when Peter uses it in preaching to the uh, Pentecost, he says the stones that you builders rejected. It's kind of interesting. Just some of those little things that you that I that you'll catch, and that's one bad thing about or trying to study the Bible. Every time you think you know it all, or you think you get it all down, then you, oh, why didn't I include that? Or why didn't I include it? But uh, there's all kinds of of uh, the depth of the riches of the, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. You'll just never, his ways past finding out. And yet, uh, he says, come and try to find out as much as you can. So, Okay. Any questions or anything that anybody might have that would like to talk to us tonight? Let's praise God together, and let's pray that God will give us open, make us the oracles of God, that we will have that open door of utterance, that other people will be praising the Lord with it. Wouldn't it be good? Uh, this time two or three months from now, and you could look across the aisle or even down the pew from where you are, oh, there's that person. They're here praising the Lord because of me or because of what God did through me. Wouldn't that be good? Let's pray that God will use us.